continuing, take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to jump right in today. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Amen. And if you're watching on Facebook, I'm not, I don't think our lyrics were showing up or our verses. Um, so I apologize for that. What that means is you need to get your Bible. Uh, so if you usually see the lyrics uh, on the screen, you're probably going to need your Bible today and you're going to want your Bible as we go through these different texts. Um, man, I, I'm excited to share this with you. This has really been working on my heart. And uh, I mean, the Lord has, has used this passage of scripture. It, it's like, you know how you read a portion of scripture and it hits you from so many different angles where you're just like, I don't even, there's so many things that, that are going on in my mind, so many things that the Lord is doing in this passage of scripture in my life. That's how I felt uh, coming into this message. I was like, I, there's so many uh, faith builders, contributors to, to like who we are as Christians. And I mean, it's not any one thing. Uh, so the only thing I can do is just tell you, like, open your heart and the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. Um, but man, th this is, it's been ministering to me. And the only thing I know to do is just uh, give it to you the way the Lord gave it to me and the way I see it in the text. Um, and, and I know that, that you will be blessed for it. Um, but I, I think that it's a challenging message. What we're going to see today is it's a challenge. Um, and we, we need to be challenged as Americans. We need to be challenged to do more, not less. We need God to give us a word for today. And, and I, I'm, I'm certain that if you're willing and ready, he'll do that. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going we're to jump in. We're going to roll. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray your Holy Spirit in our midst. We pray that, man, he would just come through and, and penetrate our hearts, Father, and that the word of God, the seed, would find good soil today. Father, I pray for all of those that are joining us this 4th of July weekend online. I pray, Father, that this message, even if it touches one, it will be worth it. Father, I pray that you will calm the distractions. I pray, Father, that uh, we would all be engaged here around your word. And that, Father, we will leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse number 1. Cody did a great job last week going over chapter 2 and uh, really bringing to light some awesome things. Um, so there's, there's people that we're going to talk about today that we've already kind of expounded upon over the last few weeks. So if you feel like you're missing a little bit of the background, go back and listen to the other messages. Uh, we're actually working hard on developing our archive on YouTube uh, and making it more organized. So Dylan has done, our, our resident intern here, uh, he's done a lot of work this week on building our sermon archive. Um, so there'll be things that we're rolling out to you during the week as that becomes uh, available. Uh, but it'll be easier for you as far as we're going to still have the podcasts for you to be able to consume if you just need the audio or if you'd like to watch the video as well. But we really want you to stay engaged when you're not able to make the service so that you can continue to walk through with us. So if there's a few things that you're like, man, I, I wish he would talk about that or expound a little bit more on that, we probably have done it already. Uh, so go back and listen to those messages. Uh, but when we jump in here, chapter three, what we're gonna find is that chapter three is, is a synopsis. It's not like the story is continuing. Our author here, who we believe to be Ezra, is gonna give us a full snapshot of what's gonna happen from really chapter three all the way through part of the way of chapter seven. So uh, that's the portion of Nehemiah where they are rebuilding the wall and it happens in 52 days. So Nehemiah, as he is building this wall, as he's putting the, the groups of people together that we're gonna see, just keep that in mind just to give you some context. It happens in about a month and a half. What we're, uh, what we're gonna go through today, we're gonna lay some groundwork um, and we're going to talk about the preparation that Nehemiah went through, but we're going to land uh, towards the end of the message on, on the enemies, uh, those that, that came out that Cody kind of introduced to us. We're going to talk a little bit about, more about them, and then we're going to challenge you at the end. And it's the exact same challenge that Nehemiah uh, uses in chapter 4, and I think it's very applicable. 
But chapter 3, verse 1, look at it with me. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even under the tower of Maah, they sanctified it under the tower of Hanaliel. So the, the rest of chapter 3, if we continue to read, you're going to see uh, about 13 different people groups, neighbors that he pulls out, uses their names. He's going to talk about uh, like 11 or 12 different types of gates. So you have to consider what they're doing, right? You have Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt. <laughs> She's fine. The temple has been rebuilt. And, and now in Ezra, as, as we're getting to that point, they've already gone back, built the temple. Nehemiah is commissioned with building the wall. So in, in the uh, archaeological findings that they have uncovered, we find that this wall was uh, nine feet thick. Consider that. Isn't that crazy? Nine feet. And that's going to be even more hilarious when you see what the haters are going to start saying about this wall. Uh, so just keep that in mind. What they're building, they're building it in 52 days. Nehemiah is commissioned from the king. He has resources from the king, which we've already discussed. And when they go, Nehemiah boots on the ground. He is, he, he is running, right? Uh, so what you're going to find here in chapter 3 is he starts mentioning different gates. So around the city, we see here that this is the sheep gate. So consider that this is being built around the temple. Why would they need a sheep gate? For sacrificial lambs, right? So this gate, the city, the holy city, was being constructed in such a way uh, so that they could worship, so that they could continue and live the way God called them to live and establish that again after it had been destroyed. And the Lord had laid that upon their heart. So sheep gate, and you think, why, why is that relevant to mention that or talk about that? It's very relevant uh, that they would have a sheep gate. And there's one other, there's a few other things that we're going to see here. But uh, Nehemiah was a great leader, incredible leader. He used principles of leadership that are used today, uh, timeless, true methods. And I think that just if you as a parent, as a spouse, trying to maybe lead your family, you will benefit from this book uh, on so many different levels. I'm watching the way he is operating in this synopsis of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4, and it is loaded with incredible leadership principles. And I see that Nehemiah is just a really good leader. Um, some notables here, some things that stood out to me. He divided the people into 40 different sections to build the wall. In chapter 3, we also see 13 different sections mentioned and a variety of workers. Um, but one specific place is mentioned. So 40 different sections. You see that number coming up a lot. 40 different sections. 40-day fasts that Moses would do uh, in, on, on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. 40-day fast uh, before God uh, laid on his heart and, and leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Jesus fasted for how many days? 40 uh, and this is, this is free. I was reading this book. Um, I'm almost done with it, but it's a great book on fasting. And, and this is completely not in my outline, uh, but I, I just figured I'd give it to you. So um, in Nehemiah, when he prepared for his work, what did he do? He fasted. He prayed and he fasted. And we'll talk a little bit more about how long that was, but I was reading this book about fasting. And the author said, you know, it's interesting uh, and I haven't really gone and, like, verified a lot of this, but I'll just give it to you. You can go uh, fact check it if you want. Uh, but he said that Satan is referred to as uh, Beelzebub, or the Lord of the Flies. And, uh, you know, you find that a swarm of flies has a lifespan of 40 days. So when you consider the lifespan of a swarm of flies being 40 days, and then he, him being the Lord of the Flies... The author of this book on fasting, uh, I think it's Pastor Franklin, he brings out the fact that when you enter into a 40-day fast, there's going to be 40 different waves of satanic oppression and satanic forces that come against you. And when Satan, as, a, uh, as, as the ringleader of those spiritual forces, you understand that it's just a fly. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when we decide to push away from the table, when we decide to engage in spiritual warfare on a spiritual battlefield with something of fasting, they, the author brings it out that the 40-day fast is literally 
outliving every spiritual force that Satan could send to you for ultimate breakthrough past that 40-day fast. I thought, man, that's incredible. The Lord of the flies. All he can do is irritate you. All he can do is send it to you and bug you. And, and uh, man, the other day, we had, what, two in the kitchen? And I was losing my stuff. And, and what do I do? I go, we have no spatula because we're still kind of unpacking. No, no, we have no fly swatter, so I pull out her spatula. I'm going for the wooden spoon. Don't touch my, you know, wooden spoon and my, whatever. I'm like, look, I got to kill these flies. They drive you nuts. I won't say who won that battle. Yeah, I will. I put the spoon back. Uh, but anyway, the point is, is they're irritating. So listen, internalize that. All Satan can do is irritate you. All he can do is discourage you. All he can do is take the truth and twist it. Engage on a spiritual battlefield. Engage in prayer and fasting and watch him drop like flies. That was free. Nehemiah used 40 different sections of this wall dividing it up. I think he did it on purpose. Some other notables here. One specific place is mentioned. Ezekiel 40 verse 6. Then came he unto the gate which looketh toward the east. Think about this. Then he went to the gate, which faced what? East. Look at that. Nehemiah chapter 3, right here, verse 29. The Bible says, After them repaired Zodak, the son of Immer, over against his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shekinah. I'm probably butchering that, but you get the point. The keeper of the what? East gate. I found that interesting. Ezekiel mentions this east gate. Nehemiah chapter 3, this east gate is being repaired. Repaired. The very gate, I thought, the eastern gate, just outside the eastern gate, all of those thoughts, those terms flooding into my mind as I'm reading this passage. And I thought to myself, no way. I dig into it, and the historians, the commentaries, seems that everyone agrees that this is the very eastern gate of the city that Jesus would enter in beginning the Passion Week. We, we have to under, understand that, that God is going to bring us to a place. God is going to bring you to a task. God has something that he is preparing you to do. And, and I just, I can't even imagine. Think about this man as he goes, well, that's my house. When we came back from that post-exile, when we were there rebuilding the wall, that was my spot. I was the keeper of the eastern gate. And that's the part where the Messiah came through to enter the holy city on a donkey. Understand this, that the work that God is preparing you for today is for someone else. We have to have that, that long-term vision in place that what we're doing is a part of the gospel work. <coughs> Incredible. The eastern gate. Your work today is almost never for you. It is for those that come after you. When Jesus commissioned the church, he didn't say to whoever creates the most amazing life for themselves is the winner. He said, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall gain it, shall find it, shall understand it. I just think about this man that literally working in unbelievable conditions, and we'll get into some of them, preparing the very gate that the Savior would enter through into the holy city for the most iconic Passion Week of all time. It's like you building a set for some incredible movie that goes worldwide, and you're like, you see that back there? I, I painted it. I did it. I, I feel connected to that movie, right? If you saw it all over the planet and you knew that was you that built it, this is the same kind of situation. This man constructing a wall that literally our Savior would come through. That's insane. But, but understand this. It's the same for you. The work that God has prepared for you to do, don't look for the return. Don't look for the return. Just sow the seed. Just do the work. Because I promise you, God is going to use this work for someone else. That's, that is the message of the gospel. I'm going to take one more here. I'm a little dry this morning. That's that two-service thing. 
The message of the gospel is a message for others. It is a call to sacrifice. Listen to this, church. Our nation is great. Our nation is great because of the sacrifice of others. The problem with our nation today is everyone is trying to cash that check. And the check of freedom is designed to be paid forward. The problem that we're dealing with in our nation today is we got a bunch of entitled people that say, I want the check of freedom and I want to cash it and I want all the benefits, I want all the rights without doing any of the work, without perpetuating the message of why we're free to begin with. You see that their work on this wall was a selfless work. It was a work that prepared the way for hundreds of years for folks to be protected in their areas of worship. That's what freedom is about. Freedom is recognizing the cost and paying it forward for those to say, I want this, I want it now. Cash me that check, fill my bank account, make me because I deserve and this is the way that it is. That is entitled behavior and that's what will destroy a nation. That's what will destroy a people. What perpetuates the gospel? Losing your life for his sake. Giving it to another. Loving your enemy. I'm telling you, the gospel is the answer. Uh, I'm going to say some things today that are probably going to rub you the wrong way. I'm going to say some things today that uh, if I was someone uh, that, that had a job that, that my livelihood was tied to a news network, I'd probably lose my job. Because that's the type of culture that we're in. A cancel culture. A culture that says, if you don't say it the way I think you should say it, you shouldn't be able to say it at all. That's not freedom of speech. That's tyranny. And that's not what I see in Scripture. But I also see those in Scripture that were willing to pay the price. Why? Because they knew that they were paying it forward for others. We are such a... And I say we. I'm including myself. Listen, to, I, I've, I have preached to myself all week this message hammering myself with this. I'm not telling you something that I haven't internalized. We have to get to the place where we are living for others, where we care more about others than we do ourselves. That's how we keep our freedoms. The upside-down nature of the gospel. I'm going to read the statement to you again. Our nation is great because of the sacrifice of others. Where would we be if our forefathers said, no, nope. Nope, you go do it. Where would we be? We are where we are because great men allowed God to do great things through them. Were they perfect men? No. But did it begin a process that God could use to bring about freedom for all people, equality for all? It's a process that began. No one was able to snap their fingers in history and have everything right at this moment. And for our generation, oh my goodness, I don't know, you, you know where I'm going with this. For our generation, I should have everything right now in the way that I want it. And if you don't believe that, I'm going to kill you. For that to happen, it just shows how ignorant and entitled. We live in a capitalistic Understand the republic that, that was founded on God. If you believe something should be a certain way, you got two hands, you got two feet, you got two legs, go work for it. Go do it. Go get it done. You, you want something, but you don't want it. All right. Okay. We're getting canceled next week. Remember that Nehemiah prepared for this work. Now, here's where I'm going to lose all of you. Here's, here's where y'all are like, go get them. Wait, just give me about two minutes, and, and you'll be canceling me too, okay? Remember that this is a work that Nehemiah prepared for. And, and, and you get the crossover, right? Like, I shouldn't have to expound on every one of these things. I'm kind of contextualizing some of this to our nation, our current climate. You get it? I'm going back and forth a little bit, so just bear with me. It's not apples for apples on everything, but I, I definitely feel like some of these things are very applicable, and that's why I'm making the connections. But anyway, 
Nehemiah prepared for the work. This is review. We've had whole messages on this, but I find, I find that repetition is the key to what? Learning, right? So I just want to continue to put this in front of you, uh, that this was the context here of this passage. Nehemiah prepared for this work through prayer. He prepared for this work through prayer. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu. Hold that right there. Nehemiah 2, 1, stay with me. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. Chislu to Nisan. Let me help you. When we find in chapter 1, verse 1, and Nehemiah in verse 4, he sat down, wept, mourned certain days in verse 4, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then verse 2, he meets the king, and the king says, what's wrong with you? How much time has passed from Chislu to month Nisan? How many is certain days? Let me help you. It's three months. Three months passes from the time when Nehemiah was brokenhearted to the time when he opened his mouth to the king. And even when he opened his mouth to the king, what do I find? I, I want to find it here. Verse 4 in chapter 2, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make a request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Not only did Nehemiah prepare through prayer for his purpose, but he prayed for provision. In the moment, he still prayed and asked God, but guess what? He'd been preparing for three months. What you, what you desire to do, and I'm, the, the end of this message is a call to action. I'm just letting you know. It's a call to action. But before we get to the call of action, before we get to Nehemiah kicking down doors, just kidding, he was rebuilding them, uh, but you understand what I'm saying? Before we get to Nehemiah's purpose, we find Nehemiah's preparation. And if we as the church of God don't want to put the work in in our prayer closet, and then when we're called to actually do it, don't do it through the Lord, we're doing it for naught. We think we have the answers to today's culture problems. You don't. You, we think we have the answer to, to the problem. Listen, you got about that much of the answer, your perspective. And there's, you know, what, 60 million others? I don't know. There's more. There's more that we don't know. We could all commit ourselves to understanding the historical narrative and read for the rest of our lives. Do we have the time for that? No. It's going to take all of us working together from all of our perspectives and points of view. But we as Christians ought to know better than to show up for the work unprepared. I know what to do. Let's hear it. Plan number whatever. Everybody's got a plan. And like, I listened. I listened. I posted that thing on Facebook from another pastor that was like, church number one, I can't believe we have to do this. Church number two, we should be doing this. You know, right, everybody's got a different point of view. My point is this. I don't know what my point is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my point is this. As a pastor, I'm hearing all of the noise, and I'm like, ain't none of that been through this filter. It doesn't take much to figure out that it's been a while since, since you've talked to the Lord. It's been a while since you've prayed. And so my point is, is when we dive into the work of God, which is what the, the scripture is going to call us to do, we have to dive in prepared. Make, make sense? So number one, Nehemiah prepared through prayer. We, I, I've seen these memes and these posts till I'm sick uh, of Christians that share 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. You know, and literally, and I'm not poking fun at scripture, I'm poking fun of the people that take one verse and say, you know, the problem is, and then they spiritualize that verse to their perspective. This is how I look at the world, and this is how we're going to solve all these problems. If my people will take 90 days and fast and mourn and pray and get brokenhearted, I promise you, they would feel differently about their enemies than they do with their one little, po oh, here's a verse, throw that, like that one. We're, we're real good. In 2020, Christians, we're real good at finding a spiritual grenade and just throwing it in the chat. <laughs> I'm going to leave this one right here with your Michael Jackson popcorn. That's what the word says, grenade number three. How about this verse? 
I'm, I'm like, it, and I'm going to reveal to you that that's an improper response to the problems. But the point is, is Nehemiah did not do that. He prayed. Number two, he obeyed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 7. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 7. God says to return unto me, and I, go to verse 7. Look at it. Look at it. Return. I will return to you if what? You return to me. Think about this, church. The same post-exilic time, the same thought process, the same line of these prophets saying, listen, if you want to get back to worshiping God the way you want to and the way, the way that you feel like it should be done, then you need to return to God and he will return to what? To you. Look at Exodus 20, verse 6. Look at this verse. Exodus 20, verse 6. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who what? And? Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Through prayer, Nehemiah was prepared. Watch this. Through obedience. Nehemiah's prayer led him to a place to return to God, and then from that place, love God. And then from that place, keep God's commandments through obedience, through prayer, and through obedience. Nehemiah literally means Yahweh is my comfort. Yahweh is my comfort. His name even tells the story. If we really want to bring about change, if we really desire that God will use us to build something in this life, then we have to stop being comforted with the things of this world. Then we have to stop serving the things of this world that are literally controlling our lives and controlling our narratives. We have to give it up. We have to return to God. Many say, what do you, what do you mean? That's, that's not cool of God. And, and, you know, if you go on YouTube and watch debates, and why does a, a loving God allow evil to happen, right? First of all, the gospel is the answer to that, and we don't necessarily have time to get into all of it today. But the point is this. God is God. When we, when we go to Scripture, we find that he says, I am, I am holy, I am good, I am kind, I am all those things that you are, are not. And when we understand God as much as we can as he reveals himself to us in his word, we find that Jesus became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself, but that is like oil and water. The, the two do not mix. Jesus did not sin. He did not come to this world and engage in sinful activity. God came to us. God paid the price. He did all of those things for us that we could not do for ourselves. God is not a sinner, cannot sin, cannot lie. He is God. So therefore, God is always good. So when we in our minds... When we in our minds think like, okay, I have to return to God? Why can't God just come to me? That's entitled behavior. That's a problem. You, you are being selfish. Because God in heaven cannot cease to be good. Cannot cease to be perfect. You are the one who is imperfect. Therefore, when you decide to return to God, it's because you are leaving your sinful behavior, you are repenting and you are choosing something good over something bad. Do we understand? Through prayer and through obedience, God accomplishes his work through prayer and through obedience. We have to get to the place where we as Christians are comforted by the Lord and not surrounded by the things of this world. If you are struggling, here's a point for you, and I know a lot of us are. If you are struggling with a God-given purpose in your life, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This would be a typical point. Raise your hand if you're struggling for purpose. Right? If you're struggling today, if you in your heart feel like there's a void, 
if you feel like, man, God, there's, there's a hole here, and I want you to put in there what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's the balance that I'm approaching you with. It's, it's not like, oh, God will just tell you. He'll just reveal it. There, there's a balance between that and, and how God actually works and how Christians actually find out what God's will is. If you are struggling with purpose and God's plan for your life, I want to invite you and encourage you today to fast and pray and obey the scripture. If you will engage in fasting and prayer and obeying what God's word said, I, I, says, I promise you, you will find purpose. I promise you God's word will reveal himself. Why? Because God is faithful. If we draw, to him, if we, if we draw nigh to him, he will what? Draw nigh to us. God is good. He cannot cease to be good. Therefore, we who are not good must go to a good what? God. In case you're struggling with, like, the, the overall picture, I'm trying to paint this picture for you, right? I, I'm struggling with my purpose. Fast and pray. What would that purpose look like, Pastor Matt? What would me being a good Christian look like? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even in the end of the world. Amen. Just in case you're struggling with what to do as a Christian, know this, that God has called you to disciple and make disciples. I need to be a pastor to do that. I need to work in the church. No, you don't. You absolutely do not. I'm one part of providing God's message to God's people. But God's people, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a teacher, whether you clean, whether you just come and attend and invite others to come and attend, we are all called to reach and disciple a lost and dying world. We are all called to bring the message of the gospel to those that do not have it. That's what we're called to do. That is the work that the church has been commissioned to do. So as we reach the end of this message and we are commissioned to do a work, understand this, that as someone who's kind of playing a Nehemiah role here, our work, our wall that is built is discipling and making disciples and spreading the gospel to a lost and dying world. <clears throat> One thing I know is that if you decide to do a work for the Lord, you will be met with opposition. You will be met with those that want to oppose the work of the Lord. If you decide that I'm going to change, shortly thereafter, you will have at least 10 excuses why you should not change. Why you shouldn't get up and go to the gym, right? I'm on a New Year's resolution. Check me. Look at me now. I won't look this way in three months. Why? Because I'm going to get up and do this and this and this and this, and I'm going to be a new person. And then what happens? January 2nd is what happens. <laughs> you know what I'm we set out to do good things, and, man, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shoot fire. Oh, there's always something that's going to get in the way of something good. Which is why Jesus fasted, which is why I told you that little bit about fasting, about engaging on a spiritual battlefield. That was free, though. The point is, is in this story, Nehemiah chapter 4, we are, and I'm not going to lay a whole lot of groundwork here because we've already introduced these guys. I just want to introduce a few extra points because these guys are, Samballat and Tobiah are a part of this narrative almost from the beginning. And they are opposing the work of God. And as you, God has given you a work to do as your pastor, I'm just letting you know that if you set out to do good things and good works for the Lord, you're going to have a Sandy and a Toby in your life, okay? So Samballat is the name in scripture and Tobiah. And today when I talk about Samballat and Tobiah, I'm going to say Sandy and Toby. How many watch The Office? It makes perfect sense that we're calling him Toby, okay? You know what I mean? He's the enemy, the arch enemy in this passage, Toby. So Sandy and Toby. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Samballat heard that we builded the wall, he was what? Wroth. We got the synopsis. We're we going to do some good things. We're going to build the wall. It's going to be a good Jerusalem, a safe Jerusalem, and we're moving forward with the wall. And they built it in 52 days. But when, when those that were on the outside of the wall, they weren't in the mix, 
heard what was happening, guess what? They come out of nowhere. Sandy and Toby. That when Sandy heard that we were building, he was wroth. He's a Sandy. <laughs> He's a Karen. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. Love you. <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Verse 2. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? What's up with these Jews, man? Come on. And, and, and what's interesting, he talks about the armies of Samaria. It's really most agree that it's a political thing that he's doing. He's pulling political strings. Yeah, don't mix politics in the church. It don't happen. The army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews? Check this out. Look at how they start talking trash. Sandy starts talking trash. And wait till Toby chimes in. It's going to be good. The armies of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? He knows what they're doing, and he knows why they're doing it. Will they make an, an end in a day? What do they think? They're going to build this wall in one day? That's what he's saying. Check this out. Will they in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish? They don't have the material, which are burned. Now, Toby, the Ammonite, which was by him, he said, even that which they build, if a fox got up there, he shall even break down their stone wall. So Toby's like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Just let my fox out real quick. Let my fox go up there and run across that wall. That thing will fall over. <laughs> Toby's like, this is, that thing looks like poop. <laughs> Stupid wall. Who do these guys think they are? Censor that out real quick. Cancel culture. I don't want to get canceled. Here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, these guys are haters. Sandy and Toby show up, and he's just like, what do they think they're going to build in? I mean, this is like seventh grade cheap shots. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Murphy's Law. If it can, it will, right? Here's these guys, like seventh grade, literally. What, they gonna build it in a day? <laughs> Archaeological discovery. I, did I already tell you? The wall was what? Nine feet thick. Nine feet thick! These guys, had, they didn't have a leg to stand on. They were sad that they weren't a part of it. Ezra chapter 4, verse 3, look at this. Ezra chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers in the households of Israel, households of Israel, said to them, you have nothing in what? Common with us in the building of this house to our God. But we ourselves, ourselves, will together build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded. So we find that in the studying, I'm kind of like digging in. Why are these guys upset that they don't have a part? We find that Sandy's kids have Yahwehistic names. Interesting. So Sanballat, who is appealing to the armies of Samaria, think about this. That means he had some Jew in him. As in this post-exilic, some were returning back to Jerusalem and were intermarrying with other tribes. So here's what you have. You have a guy that said, look, I want to be a part of this church thing. I kind of want to do it. I, I kind of want to be in this thing. I, I'm going to name some of my kids after Yahweh. Right? And, and so you have this idea that they wanted to, to be a part. They, they had a form of religion. But God commanded his specific covenant people to do a work gave them a specific task let me help you with something the church's greatest opposition will always be the pharisee and not the publican the church's greatest enemy will always be the perfect saint rather than the repentant sinner the one that names their kids all the spiritual names. The one that looks like he's got all the connections on the outside. I should be building this wall. And so they show up on the scene. Sandy and Toby are like, we're here. We're ready to help build the house of God and worship. And Zerubbabel, who was part of Ezra and Nehemiah's campaign when they first went back, he was like, uh, no, God wants it to be done by God's people a certain way. And instead of saying, I understand, I submit to what Yahweh wants, 
He just has a form of Yahweh. He has enough stake in the game that he shows that his desire is not what Yahweh's desire is. Because if it was pure and if it was right, would he have opposed the work on God's, on the, on the wall to rebuild of God's city? No, he wouldn't have opposed it. There's always going to be a bigger challenge and a bigger threat by those that look like Christians than those that are in the world that we are called to reach. I also want to say this. This is free. There was a line. I, I want you to understand that. It had, it had already been determined in Ezra 4.3 that here were the people that were going to build the wall and here were the people that weren't. In, in this culture, in this uh, climate of what we have going on, all, all churches are not the same. There are people that call themselves churches that do not call Jesus the Son of God. That's not a church. He said, upon this rock, Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does that tell me? It tells me that many will say, I've prophesied in thy name. I've done many wondrous works. And, and he's going to say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There is a line. The, the word of God tells us what truth is, and there will always be a group of people that say, I got that truth in my life. I name my children Yahweh's name. But their life doesn't match it. Their lifestyle doesn't match it. We are, we, are, we are one generation away from destroying this nation. Why? Because we are not okay with other people believing differently. I, I, like, I love every person on the face of this planet. I have friends that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I have acquaintances that are that are gay, friends that are gay, people that I've had lunch with in the last six months that are gay. But guess what? I can sit across the table from someone who's a friend of mine who understands my perspective and who respects my perspective, and I can disagree with their sexuality, right, and still be friends and still love them. And if they have the understanding of where I'm coming from and that I love them, it's, it's not for them to look at me and say, you don't have a right to exist on this planet if you don't say what I'm doing is right. We're human beings. We disagree. There's truth and error. And, and to erase the fact that truth doesn't exist. No, there is no fact. There is no black and white. There is no boy and girl. That's stupid. There is. There, there is definite, there is, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. There is definite things. And for me as a pastor, I mean, honestly, like, I'm just like, where is this going? Where am I going to be as a pastor in, in six years or in ten years? What if my son wants to be a pastor? Oh, my goodness. If someone doesn't stand up and say, listen, I love you. Just because I don't agree with you, just because I say you're wrong and I think I'm right, doesn't mean I, I hate you. And it doesn't mean you should hate me for agreeing or, or looking at something from a different perspective. But I have to say this. Why? Because they did not let Sam Bala and Tobiah work on the wall. Sandy and Toby, I'm sorry. I get it. You think you love the Lord. I get it. You think that you, you've got it going on spiritually, but you can't work on this wall. God is not allowing it. It is not. And I'm not saying that it's apples for apples. I, I'm not... I'm not saying that this is exactly tit for tat because it's not. I'm just saying in our context, stop saying that things aren't the way that the Bible says them just to be agreeable because it's only a slippery slope. That's not how you win the lost by saying there's no such thing as being lost. Well, where are you? I don't know. If we all were going to meet somewhere... What would you need? An address. What's that? A definite place. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a definite place. All places are the same. Well, then how are we going to meet at a specific place together to have dinner or lunch? You tell me. <laughs> it's dumb. It's stupid. And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take five minutes. I'm sorry, babe. I'm going to take five more minutes. Uh, to, to expound why I think it's the wrong way to view things. But it's clear that Sandy and Toby were wrong. 
and Sandy and Toby were not allowed to participate. That is dumb. I can't. He won't let me play. I'm just going to get my ball and go home. Okay. Still love you. Jeez. It's okay. How did, this is what we need more than anything. Are you ready? Get your hats, your thinking caps. Let's put them on, all boys and girls. <laughs> boys and girls, put your thinking caps on. That was kind of funny. Sorry. Can't cut that out. Cancel culture. No such thing as a boy. Anyway. All right. How did the people of God respond? I'm going to keep moving before I get myself in trouble. Nehemiah 4, 4 through 6. Here, I'm giving you the answer. If you're, if you're wondering how to deal with the climate and what is going on, and I don't mean climate change. <laughs> if you're wondering how to deal with this, I'm going to give you a biblical answer and a biblical response. You ready? Hear, O our what? God. For we are... Anybody feel despised lately? If you don't, then just go on your Facebook, hit that little live button, and start talking some truth about what's in the Bible. You're going to feel despised real quick. Okay, just saying. All right. Let's feel despised. Hear, O Lord. Turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out before thee. I'm not going to completely apples for apples this, and you'll see where I'm going. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the what? The wall. All the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to what? Uh-huh. I, I, I got like two of you on that one. For the people had a mind to what? Good one. The people had a mind to work. Hear, O God. They have done wrong against you, God. We are despised. If we were in 2020, I think it would say, we are divided. Not despised, I would say divided, despised, all of those things. Don't miss this. Opposition to the work of the Lord is against the Lord. Remember that those opposing the gospel-centered work are opposing God and that that should give you confidence in your position, watch this, and concern for theirs. Those that oppose a gospel-centered work are opposing God. And that should give you confidence in your position and concern for theirs. This is what we're missing. This is what we're missing. You have to understand that if someone is literally disagreeing with the truth of the Bible, who are they disagreeing with? God, not you. You say, well, no, it's me. I'm saying it. Yes, but, but you are the tool. You are the mouthpiece. You are the vessel, one unto honor or dishonor. And so we have to contextualize this and understand that our God, Jesus, has gone before us. He has bore the weight of our iniquity, which is not just your iniquity, but the iniquity of us all. He's not willing that any should perish but that. All should come to repentance. And this is where we get clear understanding as how we operate as the church. We operate this way, understanding that if someone is opposed to Scripture, they are opposed to God. But they that are opposed to God are valuable to God. And they are those that God has paid for their sin just as yours, right? And so I should have confidence in my position because they're opposing God, and that means that I am doing the work of the Lord, but I should have concern for theirs because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but they don't have him. They are vulnerable to every ideology known to man. And who am I? If grace, if Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, if Titus 3, 5, if all those verses are in the scriptures, which they are, then... They should be a child of God too. It's your privilege talking as a Christian when you say, they're going to hell. When you condemn, right, we, we can't take the context of this old covenant. We have to move it into the new covenant and see how we are to deal with this. Jesus says that we are to love our enemies. 
Why, why does that, how does that make sense? How does that play out, God? Because I understand that the eternal God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if they are an enemy of the gospel, then they're an enemy of God. And therefore, they do not have our God fighting for them. That's why we love our enemies. Because we know that our enemies aren't hating us, they're hating God. And that is no place any human being should be in. You know, how you react to your enemies, how you react to those that are around you that don't believe the way you believe, really shows how much you understand the gospel. If you truly believed all that God said, if you truly internalized it, internalized what the gospel meant, when someone opposes God, it would break your heart. It would devastate you. Knowing what you are and who they are and what you know and what they don't know should break you. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. How do we respond? We don't respond by agreeing. We respond by having a broken heart. We respond by responding the way Nehemiah responded. Let me give you a few pointers and we're out of here. What did they do? In the opposition, I think Nehemiah was an incredible leader. I think this is very important. The point we've already seen is in verse 6, that they had a mind to what? Work. Verse 9, they made their prayer to God and they made their watch day and night. What do I find from this? I find that they prayed to God. They didn't gossip to their friend. They prayed to God. When someone is in the church, not agreeing, when you have a coworker at work that's spewing venom at you and they clearly don't, they clearly don't see things from a scriptural perspective, pray to the God of heaven. I promise you, your posture will change. Your situation will change. They knew that their God would fight for them. Verse 15 proves it. Look at verse 15 if you have Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 15 says, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us. And God brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone into his work. Essentially, they conspired against them. They tried to overthrow them, and God tipped them off to what was going to happen. God revealed the evil plan, right? And their plan was for naught. So I wonder, I wonder, follow me here, stay with me. When you encounter an enemy, when you encounter a problem or something that is not going the way that you think it should go, and you know it's against scripture. I wonder if you just know, number one, this is a gospel work, which means God is for it, not against it. And when you go to God and you pour out your heart to God, I wonder if God would fix the problem and make the provision like he did for Nehemiah, like he did for those people. But when we say they shouldn't, grace says that we shouldn't that we got a problem, that we have an issue. Grace holds the key, right? What is that? That's a song. If our posture is correct and we pray to the God of heaven, we're praying because we know that they are opposing them and not us. I firmly believe that half the problems, okay, 99.9, that escalated quickly. <laughs> let's, let's go 80%. I firmly believe that 80% in the problems in the church and on the outside of the church could be, could be solved if we didn't take them personally, but we personally took them to God. I can't believe My wife, my husband, my, my children, my... We're taking it personally, but it's a spiritual battle. Prayer and fasting makes it a spiritual battle. Hear, O oh Lord, our cry, because they are rising up really against you. Oh, I'll make a way. But when we take it personal, then what is God doing? He's catering to your selfish behavior. He's not executing his gospel plan. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. There's a lot of truth in that. There's, there's so much truth, in fact, in that, 
that I believe that if we would work hard on that, it's, it's hard. This ain't gonna happen. That's not going to happen overnight. You, you, you feel me? But if you will work on that, it will change your life. There's been times Sarah and I have gone through things in ministry that literally broke us. And for years, we internalized it. But eventually, you get to a place where you're just like, Lord, set me free. And what you realize is you're not, the Lord isn't setting you free. You're just, you're just putting the priorities straight where they should have been all along. And that the attack was on him, and he's going to make provision for you because you're doing his work. Stop shouldering a burden that he already shouldered. Another fun, fun things that I see here. A sword in one hand and a trial in the other. When the opposition rises up, I, I see two things. I'm going to tell you this, two things, because we're, just, we're out of time almost. So I see that they had a sword in a hand and a trial in the other. Then I also see that in verse 20 and 21, that when it was time for them to take a break, they slept while the others held the spears and watched over them. There's two key principles here that I think are game changers for Christians. One being this. If you're heavy serving the Lord without getting to know the Lord, you're out of balance. You need to know the Lord, the sword. You need to have God fighting for you, and you need to be working for the Lord. Christians that do not commit scripture to memory, that do not study the Bible, that do not pray, will not be Christians very long. They had a sword in one hand to fight off the enemy. So many of you, if I approached, if, if I came to you, and this is just telltale sign of 2020 Christianity. If I came to you and I said, let me, let me tell you about a new, a new truth I learned. And if I told you something completely erroneous that could not be found in scripture, I could probably convince half of you to believe it, okay? I'm just kidding. I hope that wouldn't be the case. But unfortunately, in my experience is that people can be easily convinced. Why do I know that? Because people send me sermons and stuff all the time. And they're like, this is amazing. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not in the book. Um, we don't have the sword that's rightly dividing, piercing into the center of soul and spirit. It's not defining who we are. We're literally tossed with every wind of doctrine. So I would say that. Number one, don't just be all about the work and never studying or studying and never working. That's a different problem. That leads to, that leads to Pharisees real quick. So apply yourself in every area. If you're not serving in the house of God and you're not studying, it should be a balance. And the second thing I see is this, and this is free. A mind to work, right? They had a mind to work, and they thought it important that when it was time to take a break from that work, that people that had their best interest at heart were watching over them. I see Christians that are on or off. We don't know how to take a break. We don't know how to exist in the house of God in seasons. It's either I'm hundred miles for the Lord. And then I'm like, yo, where you been? It's been a month. Well, you know, the devil got me. I'm going to come back. I'm going to repent. I'm coming back to the Lord this week. And then they're back a hundred miles. And then three weeks later, well, pastor, I think I found a, this pastor inspires me more. The coffee tastes better. Like Cody was talking about last week. Right? I was thinking, you're just not for me anymore. It's all. You're just not for me. God's revealed something better. I get it. Listen, I'm not for a lot of people. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is this. Maybe it's time that you need seasons of rest, but you need to let folks that are spiritual overseers, you need to let them know that you're resting. Stay in a safe place. Take a season where you take a nap from the service of the Lord within the house of God. I've see, I see too many Christians take literal vacations from God, and then they go on a vacation, and it's like, what are they doing? Woo-hoo! Vacation song! Don't put this on Facebook. It's going to be good. It's going to be lit. Not like Holy Spirit fire, but you know what I'm saying? Good heavens, I get everybody needs a vacation, but you don't need a vacation from God. When it was time to rest, they had those with spears watching over them. we got to get in a healthy rhythm. But the problem in the church is that the only people that have a mind to work are 10% of the people that are doing all the work. And so they never get a break because not everybody has a mind to work. So we burn out. That's a problem. 
We get to the end, and the message is this. Do you have a mind to work? Church, it's vitally important that we do this together. That's the point. They all work together. God used incredible leadership, worked through incredible leadership to accomplish an incredible work. But verse 6 says this. They had a mind to work. And I would ask you this morning, do you have a mind to work? The enemy's coming. But if you have a mind to work, we can get through this. Uh, uh, we, we can get through this together. You, you can't get through it by yourself. If you try by yourself, then you're a Sandy. Then you're a Karen. Then you're a Toby. You're trying to do it all on your own. My kids are named Jesus. Look it up. The birth certificate is in the hot. I named all my kids Bible names. Well, what does that have to do with the work of God? I don't know. But they're named Bible names. Sandy, chill out. Whatever, I'm punting to Toby. Your wall's stupid. A fox could knock it over. <laughs> These guys are like straight up junior high. But you know what? I bet there were some people, watch. I bet there were Enneagram fours in the crowd that were like, man, that's mean. I just put that board up. Man, Toby always gets me. Jeez. And then there was someone that came alongside and said, hey, why don't you take a break? I'll watch over you. Remember, it's about the wall. We have a mind to work. And when they're coming at us, they're coming at God. It takes a village. It takes all of us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This passage is loaded with incredible truths. Incredible truths. I don't know where you're, where you're at. But know this, your pastor loves you. I care for you. I want you to have a mind to work. I want you to be a part of God's plan and what God is doing. But you know, we gotta set the record straight on some stuff.